Welcome to the CTO Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's chief technology officers. Looking to discover what it takes to succeed as a CTO? Then sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating evolution of the world of technology leadership. Here's the host of the CTO podcast, the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. Welcome to the CTO podcast, where we explore the worlds of chief technology officers as they manage the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of technologists in the C-suite. I'm your host and the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. And today we're going to hear about the ways you can use AI to help you write code. Joining us is Blake Messer, who is the VP of Engineering at CrateJoy. It's an online marketplace for curated subscription boxes. Today, Blake and I are going to delve deep into AI-assisted coding, ChatGPT, and maybe hear about his Chrome extension. Okay, here's my conversation with Blake Messer, the VP of Engineering at CrateJoy. Blake, welcome to the CTO podcast. Thanks for having me, Etienne. It's great to be here. I've been dying to talk to you because you've been posting all these updates to our Slack with the little tools that you've been creating. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I became a ChatGPT enthusiast as soon as it started getting popular, maybe three months ago. One of the first projects I picked up was to build a little Slack integration for it. So you can just add ChatGPT to your Slack workspace and I found early on that one of the frustrations I was having was that I kept taking sort of screenshots of conversations that I was having with ChatGPT so that I could show them to the engineers on my team, so I could show them to product managers and the other people that I was working with just to demonstrate what the power was. And I found that a lot of the power that I learned from it was seeing how other people interacted with it. And so I thought if we could just all interact with it together inside of Slack, that we would have a more gratifying experience and sort of up our productivity coefficient, as it were. And did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. We've been using it daily. And especially after I got access with my API key to use GBT4, it's really become a powerful tool in our, our daily workflow. That's incredible. So it's like the bot that no one can live without. Yeah, that's my experience of it. I mean, a lot of people just sort of prefer to use the Mutex or whatever on the OpenAI website, but I find that having it just in Slack is is really helpful because, uh, again, a lot of the power that comes from it is just seeing how everyone else is using it. That was my next question, which was seeing how other people are using it. What are you seeing? For the most part, I see people using it to... It's almost everything, right? I've seen people use it to write job descriptions, to write emails. I've seen it used to write code, obviously. CSS, HTML, it's quite good at. It allows the people that are using it to basically have their own sort of pocket assistant. And the output from that pocket assistant ends up being more often than not right the first time. Wow. And it's not just a pocket assistant that each developer has in their pocket, it is public, right? So are people querying your team GPT and then everyone can see what everyone's asking and what GPT is saying to everybody? Or do you find that people are mostly doing direct messaging? 
People are direct messaging it for sure, but the most in- interesting conversations happen when people are doing it in a public space. Like one of our GMs the other day gave it as input a link to a spreadsheet and then have it do analysis on that spreadsheet with an interactive flow. And we were all watching just like sort of jaw gaping the power of the tool and then also like the insights that came from that output. I think we're really proud. Yeah, what a brilliant way to do sort of public square training, open lunch and learning where everyone is interacting with this language model I mean, we're basically the humans are training each other on how to work with the LLM. I mean, my feeling is that these LLMs are going to be a part of daily life for everyone in our field, if it's for whom it's not already in short order. And so I thought for my engineering team, right, the earlier that I could drive adoption and expertise with how to use and and what the pitfalls are, this tool, the more leveraged the work that we were doing would be. And I know it's only been a few weeks, maybe a few months, but is there something that the suits are like, wow, you increased productivity with 0.03% per half a minute and everything is amazing? Yeah, I mean, we don't actually measure all of our output with story points, but there is a definite feeling among the team and among the executive team who's also very, very encouraging with the adoption of these tools that the work that we're doing is more leveraged than it was. It's like we have a size in engineering team, and now it seems like we have a size in times 1.3 engineering team. And is it something that non-technical people understand? And let's talk about this a little bit. When you first introduced it, not only to your team, but to your C-suite, what did that process look like? Some people are saying, well, my team already had it and is already using it. They brought it to me. But I presume you know, for the way that you've gone about this with creating a wrapper around GPT, having it integrated in your company Slack, you know, Cratejoy is not an insignificant startup. How did you navigate the playbooks and the processes and the culture to sort of integrate this thinking? I have regular one-on-ones with everyone on the C-suite and then also everyone on my team and their reports as well. And the conversations were very easy on a one-on-one basis, but there was a sort of fundamental skepticism with each person at the very beginning of the conversation. And almost all of them could be nudged if I say, hey, you trust me, right? I'm not going to waste your time. Like, go spend 20 minutes with this and then tell me it's not going to change everything pretty soon, right? Use it for something that you're actually working on right now. And then, you know, within 20 minutes of that conversation, right, they start sending me their prompts and they're really excited about it too. I love how you've done that. And then you've also invited the seven CTOs community to use it. I haven't seen that much interaction with it. So I'm assuming, you know, they didn't have the benefit of sort of being led into how to interact with it. Or maybe they're just not working together, right? And sort of maybe the drop right there. But yeah, I've got probably 250 installs of it. At this point, I put it out on Product Hunt and Reddit and LinkedIn and all that stuff. And and probably three weeks ago and everything that I've gotten from there has been just sort of organic usage. I'm definitely like playing the how many people kind of get to use this game, right? It's been sort of fun. But yeah, Teams, there's definitely a power log distribution of usage there. I've gotten emails of people saying like this changed everything for the way that we're working. I've gotten one email to that effect. And then I've had some people just install it and then never really play with it again, right? 
and it really depends on team culture. It depends on how much your IT org is willing to trust you to install a third-party application, right? I think there's privacy concerns, security concerns, copyright concerns. Is this going to be useful? Am I going to be able to trust my junior engineers to use this responsibly? Or are they going to commit code that they don't understand and, and maybe they weren't doing that before? I, you see a lot of pushback from people like that. I've seen... A number of people say something to the effect of, I just don't trust my team to use this. Wow. I don't trust them not to leak bits of our code. I don't trust them to understand the code that they're committing. And to me, what it sounds like is they have a engineering culture problem that is actually going to block their adoption. For me, I'm sort of lucky because I'm in the position where all of the people on my engineering team are super senior. So they can sniff out whether or not the output that it's giving them is good before they even try to execute it the first time. And I think that being able to apply that smell test, right, like is part of what makes your sort of coefficient of work so much more productive. I also think that it's a really great education tool, right? And so for junior engineers, right, like my coaching would be to have them not ask to write the code for them or if they do to immediately afterwards ask, please explain this to me, right? What is like when you pass this function into the other mapper, right? And what I found is that as an education tool, and I think outside of software, like education is like the biggest space that I see like getting radically disrupted as a result of these tools, right? The power of having your own personal tutor, which actually can sort of fake like it understands <laughs> what you're talking about and give you an answer that is, is as often as not pretty much right I mean, that's no substitute for understanding what you're doing, right? Like you can't, I think, take just take the output, paste it, not understand it, and then be able to get away with that. It will bite you. But people have been pasting code out of Stack Overflows for as long as I've been doing this. And, you know, it's not really any different than that, except that the code is written in response to your exact prompt rather than in response to whatever error you Googled to get there. Yeah, and that prompt may not consider a certain edge case or any sort of exceptions to your thinking. Yeah, but you can respond by calling it out on that or saying you uh, someone might not give me the input that this code handles. What if they, you know, write the word lizard instead of putting a number in the in the input field? Can you handle that? And then it will modify its own code and, and spit that back out. There are caveats to that. It, its memory is only the last... 3,000 words or so for most usage. So if the code that you're having it right gets to a certain length, then you know you can still use it, but you sort of need to chunk it out, like break it up, which most senior engineers are sort of doing instinctively already, taking large pieces of code and chunking them into smaller pieces and then trying to understand those smaller pieces and have those abstractions make sense in and of themselves. And as long as that's your sort of workflow, it's, it's almost an optimal tool for that. And Copilot is also, you know, a level up as well, like a game changer as well. So I want to just address the knowing that it should address certain use cases or exceptions. That, of course, then lies with the human being to know that there could be some use cases where this piece of code that was just generated doesn't actually cater for. So again, this sinks to the level of the experience of the developer that's interacting with the interface. Yeah, absolutely. I think in gross terms, people that are already productive at the nominal task that they're asking its help with 
are more productive relative to before. Yeah, I'm hearing that from you. So there's the sort of the amplification of an existing skill versus the substitution of a lack of skill. I think it can do that too, but the prompts would be different, right? It's please explain to me all the pieces of the React lifecycle and how they interact with each other, right? React component lifecycle. Let me ask you another question about sort of learning in public. I mean, it's a pretty vulnerable thing, right? It's the concept that you're admitting to the machine in front of your peers and colleagues that there's this question that you have that, you know, maybe I should have known how to do it or maybe I shouldn't be asking the machine to do it. How much of that is going on, do you think, in your culture, whether it's visible or invisible? Probably a lot. I would say that people are DMing the bot a lot. And it's not because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing in front of their teammates. In my case, it's that they don't want to just drown us with the tedium of trying to convince it to not use media queries while writing the CSS, right? It's about that they know that they're probably going to try 10 prompts before one works and they don't want to just like flood us with all the garbage, right? But then when they do finally get it to work, right? Like if they don't post it someplace public, then I think that there's kind of, there's a loss there, right? So to that end, something that our listeners can do and try is like, hey, DM or participate or use, but then let's go to the ChatGPT channel on Slack and share some of our wins or some of the prompts or some of the learnings from the model. Yeah, that's often what I do is I'll be I'll be messaging with ChatGPT just in the OpenAI interface. And then when I get the gem that I had been dusting for, I post it in the channel. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. So let's briefly touch on Copilot. So you said that's a game changer. How did you integrate that? I've never used Copilot. So, hey, Blake GPT, speak to me like I have never used you before. So Copilot was created by GitHub in collaboration with Microsoft and OpenAI. And essentially what it's trying to do is it just sits in your code editor and it tries to predict what code you're going to write next based on what file you're looking at, what is the other contents of that file, what other files are in the same repository or directory or whatever. And I think one of the real like ways in which it's valuable is that it can predict all of the sort of boilerplate code that you're about to write and then just write it for you so you can operate at a more executive level while you're doing the work that you're doing. I found, especially if the language that you're writing is really popular or the framework or library that you're using is well-documented and well-traversed on the internet already, which is to say if its training data set is really good on the task that you're specifically trying to perform right now, it's almost mind-blowingly good, right? For my Slack app, I set up a paid workflow so that people could use premium features by signing up like with Stripe, right? And so Stripe sends a webhook to my service. And so I was started writing the function that receives that webhook. And just based on the name of the file that I had written in, I started, like I opened the file, put the cursor in, and then Copilot knew that I was about to write a webhook receiving code from Stripe. It wrote the comment first, And then I hit the next line. It wrote the name of the function that I was actually going to name. And then it wrote working code that receives a webhook from Stripe, deserializes it, 
puts it in my database. It knew which database technology I was using, which ORM I was using, what the table was that I was going to insert into, what the column was on the table that I was going to insert into, and it handled the process of verifying the signature of the request that it actually came from Stripe and committing the code and everything. And it worked the first time just out of the box. I was This was my first actual experience of playing with Copilot and having it just do something like real and having it, it saved me probably 20 minutes of reading Stripe docs. I mean, it probably saved you hours just in debugging and like even a little script to ingest a response. Yeah, it's also great at writing tests, right? If you've already written the code, it can see that code and it probably and it knows from the corpus of all of the training data that it has what test you're going to write and probably how to organize it. I think that especially if you're a TDD shop, right, the sort of pitfalls of not necessarily trusting the computer-generated output are lessened because you're verifying, you know, as you go the functionality of each piece as you write it. Just a super newbie question. Do you have to use GitHub's IDE or does it integrate with VS Code? You can use it with VS Code. I'm using it with VS Code. You can use it with NeoVent. You can use it with whatever IDE that you are already using, probably. Well, this is fascinating. I, I do want people to be able to head over to your Team GPT. What's it called? Teammate GPT. GPT Mate. GPT Mate. Okay. How do people download that or get access to that? www.gptmate.app, or you can just Google GPTmate. I'm still at the top for that. And you may not be surprised to know that all of the assets were generated by ChatGPT or Dolly. And in fact, the name GPTmate was given to me by ChatGPT. I had to give me 10 test names, and it was the one I liked the most. I love it. I love it. Well, that was amazing. Thank you, Blake. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the CTO Podcast. Thanks to Blake Messer, VP of Engineering at Cratejoy, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Blake and I are going to discuss the struggles in buy versus build land, which all us CTO types understand very well. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Blake, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is rblakem or visit his company website at createjoy.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to ctopod.com, where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of technical strategy and leadership in the C-suite, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the CTO podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media, our handle is at 7CTOs on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Bruin, E-T-D-E-B-R-U-I-N. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of CTO brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that if things aren't breaking, your company isn't growing.